Thank you, Nancy. Our scripture today comes from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 through 22. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened, help the weak, and be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit, do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all, hold on to what is good, and reject every kind of evil. Thank you, Jeannie. I apologize, I told her it was a little bit long, but it's a good sign for the sermon, right? A little bit long scripture. And I also wanna thank Nancy. I don't think Nancy knows that In the Garden was my grandpa's favorite song, so I did do a little tearing up at the beginning of the service, but you got us all jazzed up for uh, the sermon with the Saints Go Marching In. So thank you so much. Um, if you all pray with me, please. Precious Father, we just ask that you come into this time. I pray, Father, that you put me behind the cross, that these words that are spoken are your words, that they land on each heart with your intent and with your purpose. In your precious Holy Son's name, amen. Now, if you have a Bible with you or you have the Bible app, it is a good time to get it out because we are going to take that scripture and we're going to walk right through it together. So come along with me. I live and work in a world that loves a framework. And a framework is simply the guidepost for living, for successfully driving an outcome. At work, we have clever rules that highlight tasks to give to partners and companies that are roadmaps for achieving their goals, driving business, driving new customer acquisition, those kind of things. A good framework builds with each piece almost like a set of Legos. We have frameworks at work for measuring business results, how to create the perfect novel or manuscript, frameworks for developing key performance indicators, frameworks for marketing campaign development, for technology assessments, reporting, even meetings. Yes, we have frameworks for meetings. We literally have a framework for everything. And although we could digress into an intoxicating discussion on the best approach to measuring a multi-channel marketing campaign today, I'd like to highlight one of the original frameworks, and that's Paul's to the church at Thessalonica. Let's call it the Christian framework, the Christian Lego set for a life well-lived in Christ, if you will. Now, Paul, as most of you know, is widely recognized as the great evangelist to the Gentiles. He did this through his visits and his letters, lots and lots of letters and many people believe that Paul could have used a good editor and yes I'm talking to you Larry Hilbert Paul could have used look see you weren't paying attention you always complain if I don't mention you so here it is pay up 
My dad likes to say that Paul could use 12 words when one would do. And I would agree that Paul ascribed to the marketing tenant that everyone needs to hear every message at least three times. If you are curious about this, read either letter to the Corinthians and you will see Paul's rather early attempts at reinforcing his point. But it is in this rather short, succinct letter to the church at Thessalonica that we find Paul's Christian framework, his guidelines for living in the faith. His list comes nearly at the end of the letter and you can almost feel him rushing to get his words on the paper before the Roman version of the Pony Express gallops out of town. Paul and Silas had established a church in Thessalonica on Paul's second missionary trip. The church was a mix of both Jews and Greeks, and it was not immune to the challenges faced by the new religion. These people were often persecuted and at great risk for their own lives. So as Paul writes his letter of encouragement and praise, he wants to leave this young group of believers with a tangible checklist, one that most of us could use for ourselves and our church today. So here we go. There are 12, so hang on. There are 12. Here with Paul's Christian framework for a living. First, hard work and acknowledgement of the work. Hard work and acknowledgement of the hard work. We've all done behind the scenes work, washing dishes, prepping for a funeral lunch, praying, cleaning a bathroom, mulching a flower bed, just to name a few. And some of us would say hard work and a job well done is its own reward. But what Paul is reminding us in this passage is that our job, each of our job, is also to acknowledge and recognize those around us for their hard work. Hard work is a gift in and of itself. Effort and care is as important as a monetary gift or sharing of one's talents. And that hard work should be recognized, not only for the physical labor, but also for the love that it expresses. As a church, as a family, as friends, and as neighbors, we should be conscious of the efforts those around us give. But not only showing our gratitude by honoring the gift of hard work, but also by returning that same gift with our own time and figurative muscle. Part of the Christian framework requires us to work hard. And you may not be able to mulch a flower bed or build a house, but hard work comes in many forms, from sweat-inducing to time-sacrificing. And regardless of our life stage, our physical capabilities, we are all called to work hard and to celebrate the efforts of, in others. Second, live in peace. Live in peace. Does this seem odd in 2021? This is a good time to say amen. Amen. Okay. Just making sure everyone's with me. I like positive reinforcement. Thank you so much. This can be hard for us. Everything in our world, our country, even our global church community is shouting for us to focus on our differences, to ignore what draws us together and highlight what pulls us apart. But folks, this is not the Christian way. We are called to love in spite of what makes us different, to remember and embrace what pulls us together, our mutual love and affection in and of Jesus. Living into the Christian framework requires each of us to let go of what divides us and embrace what binds us. Amen. Thank you. 
We are called to live in peace with each other, which includes gracious words in person and in print. Third, warn against idleness and disruption. Warn against idleness and disruption. The cliche, idleness is the devil's playground, does actually have its roots in scripture. God wants us to work. God wants us to work. From the moment he first breathed life into Adam, God placed him in the garden to work. The opposite of work is idleness. Now don't mistake me, don't mistake Paul's warning against idleness as anti-Sabbath or anti-rest. No, we are called to rest. But what Paul is truly instructing us in the Christian framework is to turn against attitudes and actions that will disrupt the peace of our community. He is calling us to, uh, calling each of us to put in an equal share of effort. And we do this by not being idle, not being prone to gossip, not talking about each other. We do this with action and by leaning into that praise for hard work, actively discouraging disruptive behavior. Peaceful living and a celebration of hard work are truly built on top of the warnings of idleness and disruptive behavior. Fourth, help the weak. Help the weak. Although we are called to work hard, some of us have times or even lifetimes when we are not as strong as our fellow brother or sister in Christ. And a part of living into the Christian framework is helping each other carry our burdens. None of us. None of us was designed to live this life alone. It's one of the reasons this last year and a half has been so very hard. By helping those who are weak, sorry, Brian, by helping those who are weak, we are able to share our strength, our resolve, and our faith in what God will provide. Being weak is not a sin. Being weak is not a sin, but choosing to ignore those in their weakness when you or I celebrate our strength is a terrible sin of ambivalence and hubris. Fifth, I don't like this one very much. Fifth, be patient with everyone. Be patient with everyone. The way to live in the Christian framework isn't to be patient with those we like and with those who aren't annoying us at the moment. We are called by Jesus's own example to be patient with everyone. What does that even look like? Patience for everyone means understanding that sometimes the person in front of you who is driving 10 miles under the speed limit this is, I'm like just, I have a mirror, no one else needs to listen. I'm just talking to myself right now. When someone is driving 10 miles under the speed limit, there is a good reason. Having patience with everyone means that when you are with your friend who has told you the same story a few times or 30, you smile and nod and appreciate the time you have together. This isn't easy. Trust me, I'm literally preaching to myself right now. This isn't easy. Patient, patience often means deferring your wants for someone else's needs. Patience often means deferring your wants for someone else's needs. 
but patience is truly at the heart of the Christian framework. By practicing patience in the small things, we can learn patience for the big. We are called to be patient, which as Jonathan has told us before, means long suffering. Patience isn't easy, but when we display it, I truly believe God's heart is warm. Sixth, nobody pays back wrong for wrong. Nobody pays back wrong for wrong. This is as hard to understand for most of us as turn the other cheek, right? We have movie series, television shows, books, all dedicated to the art of revenge. And oftentimes people wrongly justify their revenge under the blanket of Exodus 21, 23 through 25. They actually miss Jesus's reboot on the topic in the Sermon on the Mount, where he said in Matthew chapter five, beginning at verse 38, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. For if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them your other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you, take your shirt and hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go two. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. In the Christian framework, we will not be successful if we do not act like Elsa from Frozen and let it go. Now, for those of you who haven't seen Disney, just talk to my nephew, he can point you in the right direction. Letting go isn't easy. If you've been wronged, you will likely need to start by letting go of whatever pain, betrayal, or hurt has been done to you every day, maybe every hour, until the idea of getting re revenge is nothing but a memory. Forgiveness is not for the forgiven. Forgiveness is for the forgiver. Seventh, always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Now, I think most Christians, most of us in this room, do good for other Christians. I truly believe that we try and do good for others as well, both Christians and non-Christians alike. But Paul, Paul's a little sneaky. Paul snuck in an adverb and a pronoun in here to make it part of the Christian framework. He put in always and everyone. Always, I looked this up to make sure I had the right definition. Always means all future time forever. All future time forever. Paul isn't telling us to try and do good when we feel like it or when it's convenient. Always quite literally means every day, every hour, until forever. Everyone means every single person. And since I said that, another five babies were born around the globe. Everyone means we are striving to do good for the people in these pews, the people watching on live stream, the people in this community, the people in this state, the people in this country, the people at our work, the people in Afghanistan, the people in every country around the globe. All people, always. This is not an easy task. Eight, we're coming to the home stretch, people. Rejoice always. And again, I say rejoice. Rejoice always. Yeah. Amen. Life 
is difficult. It is not for the faint of heart. We have dozens on our prayer list today who are desperate for the grace, healing, and answers that can only be provided by God. And just like the army, for every single spoken prayer, there are 10 unspoken ones pleading with God for his mercy. But the difference between living a life fully in Christ is all about attitude. I want you to pause for a moment and think about your attitude. Are you joy-filled for the place you are in life? Are you focused on what God is doing for you? Or are you focused on what you don't have? What is rocking your boat? What is the devil trying to use to drag you under? And yes, Terry, that is a Guys and Dolls reference. We have, well, maybe later. We all have trials. Some are bigger and some are worse than others. But each of us in this room is facing something in our lives that the devil could try and use to convince us that God has abandoned us. Who wants to let the devil win? Anyone? No. But it is fundamental to the Christian life, to the Christian framework, to focus on what God has given, both the good and the bad. There is a reason for everything, and part of our walk is trusting God and praising him in the rain. We only have two choices for how we can walk into each day with joy or with despair. But the key is you do have a choice. Rejoice in all things. Rejoice in all things. Nine, pray continually. Pray continually. Most of us are more familiar with the King James Version of this verse, pray without ceasing. And I've talked with this type of attitude and this type of action with the youth before. And it seems physiologically impossible to never cease praying. I mean, we sleep, right? And it can be overwhelming to think, how do you continually pray all the time? But what Paul is truly telling us here is that we need to enter into anything and everything in life, from dinner to a meeting at work to a workout, any and all parts should be entered into as a spiritual activity. Many of you have heard me talk about Brother Lawrence before, the 17th century French monk who truly dedicated everything he did in life. He was the dishwasher, and he praised God for the dirty pans and the dishes. He truly sought to constantly be in God's presence. He did this through prayer and keeping a constant line of communication open with God. This is what it means to pray continually. Brother Lawrence wrote, the practice of the presence of God is the shortest and easiest way to attain Christian perfection. Believe me, he wrote, count is lost each day you have not used in loving God. Count is lost each day you have not used in loving God. Prayer without ceasing is critical to us building out the Christian framework. 10, give thanks in all circumstances. Give thanks in all circumstances. 
Now, believe it or not, I can hear some of your thoughts. I was a youth leader from a, for a really long time, so I can read minds. Most of you are thinking, how is give thanks in all, diff all circumstances different from rejoice always? They seem pretty much the same. But let me tell you, there is a slight, very purposeful difference. Rejoicing is the feeling of joy expressed with great delight. Giving thanks is an outward display of gratitude. They are equally important to the Christian framework, and they act as those Legos building on top of each other. Can you actually give thanks in all circumstances if you're glum? Can you rejoice always if your heart is filled with ungratefulness? In the Believer's Bible Commentary, it says, Give thanks to God. Giving thanks to God should be the Christian's native emotion. How good is that? Giving thanks to God should be the Christian's native emotion. As Christians, our life began when we recognized Christ's sacrifice on the cross and we gave thanks for who he is and who he was and what he did. We cannot move forward in our walk of faith without first recognizing and giving thanks for God and all he has done. This gratefulness is the foundation of who we are. It is truly fundamental in building out the Christian framework. 11. Do not quench the spirit. Do not quench the spirit. Now, I know we have a couple Presbyterians in here, but for us Methodists, this is a bit of a sticky wicket. I cheerfully have dubbed the, the Methodist church as the frozen chosen. You know, we often get nervous when a raised hand happens during singing or when we got a loud amen during the service. Everyone got a little shaky, right, when we said amen? Did everyone get a little shaky? Yes. When I was young, discussions about being born again were only, hap only happened in the Baptist church or with the evangelical fundamentalists. We were never overcome with the Spirit or led to do something simply because the Holy Spirit told us to. <clears throat> I'm going to confess here. I once told a musician at Emmaus who told me she just waited for the Holy Spirit to lead her. I said, the Holy Spirit's really organized. God created the earth. You can ask him in advance what that list is going to be. <laughs> We are, no, that was an actual conversation. Uh, like I said, I am preaching to myself. We are Methodists. We like order. We like neat rows. We like worship to ex and end exactly one hour after it starts. We're on time, people. Not wind down after three hours. We like our hymnals to be filled with old standards, and we don't particularly like it if someone is sitting in our seat on a Sunday morning. Have a few quirks. So the idea of putting constraints or order on the spirit, or of not putting constraints or order on the spirit, doesn't settle very well for us. But anytime we say phrases like, that doesn't work here, or we've tried it before, or we'll never have enough help, or anything else that limits what God can do through his Holy Spirit is quenching the spirit. Still reading from the Believer's Bible Commentary, it says, to quench the spirit means to stifle his work in our midst, to limit and hinder the spirit. Sin quenches the spirit. Traditions quench the spirit. Man-made rules and regulations in public worship quench the spirit. Disunity 
quenches the spirit. We are called to live up to God, not to bring God down to us. 12, hey, this is the last one. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all, hold on to what is good, and reject every kind of evil. Test them all, hold on to what is good, and reject every kind of evil. As a person who has spent the better part of 20 years, I won't say exactly how many, because you all know I'm old, testing new promotions, products, concepts, subject line, campaigns, and everything in between, I have a special place in my heart, and for a long time on my office wall, for this particular passage within the Christian framework. What we are challenged to do here is discern, not discount. Right, Margie? We're here to discern, not to discount. We as Christians can oftentimes forget what our number one job is. Anyone? We are called to love each other. Thank you for participating. appreciate that. We are called to love each other. That is our job. We are not, our job is not, to judge each other. But loving doesn't mean that we blindly accept what someone says simply because he or she claims to be a Christian. Many wonderfully devout people have been disillusioned and disavowed because a person of faith twisted or misused scripture and the church itself. As people of faith, we are supposed to test everything, not judge, but discern if we are hearing and reading and seeing if it is from God or not. To test everything requires each of us to be responsible for a foundation, foundational and fundamental knowledge of scripture. Our source of truth in the faith should not be a podcast, a social media influencer, a news outlet, a hot Christian nonfiction book. We should not rely solely on a pastor or a teacher or a spiritual leader. In order to test everything and hold on to the good, rejecting every kind of evil, we must know independently what is good and what is evil. God is good. And the way to know God is to know scripture, cover to cover and back again. The Christian framework will collapse. It will collapse if you do not take authority in your life to know what God says and who God is. Do not trust something as vital as eternity on the hearsay of someone else. Although each part of the Christian framework is vital to press on to the goal of sanctification in Christ, the framework is there to keep each of us on the right path. But it's also there to act as a guide for us to hold each other accountable in our daily walks. Friends, as you've heard me already confess, each of us will stumble in one or more of the key areas. But if we focus first and foremost on our job from God to love each other as he loves us, then we will be there to help each other build a proper framework in Christ. At work, when we wrap up a consulting project, we leave the company with an artifact that outlines the framework, detailed for their use to leverage in growing their business. All too often, we're contacted one or two years later when they need us to help consult again. And we find that they haven't moved forward 
because they haven't applied any part of the framework we left them with. Let us not be like corporate America. Let us take this Christian framework Paul has provided us and leave this place today intentionally building out and growing each part of the framework every moment from this day forward. Work hard, live in peace, warn the idle and disruptive, help the weak, be patient with everyone, do not seek revenge, strive to do good, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, do not quench the spirit and test everything and hold on to the good. Amen? Amen. Amen.